Gene Ambom. <laughs> you doing? I'm doing. I, I would be doing a lot better. Welcome to Bookstabber, the podcast where we read books, we talk about them, we talk about whether or not we like them. I'm Willow Payne. I fell down a staircase a couple days ago, so I am not at full energy. And I'm Gene Ambom, and my voice doesn't seem to be working very well this morning, but I have tea. We're both just half the people that we used to be. Woohoo. So I'm, I realize it's, I'm making it sound very dramatic. I, people, I'd like <laughs> you to know that I, I am fine. I'm actually better than you'd expect. Things are okay. And let's talk about the book, the book of all books. We read, uh, a, qu- a quick correction from the last podcast. We said we were going to read The Order of the Something Moon, but um, we didn't. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. You made me stop reading that. And then you said, let's read uh, Every Heart a Doorway by Sean and McGuire. Yes, this came as a recommendation from some friends of mine. And uh, so, yeah, we read that instead. Shannon won the John Campbell Award uh, before this book came out. This came out in 2016, I think. It's a novella. Uh, it won the Nebula, it won the Hugo, it won the Locus Award, and it won an Alex Award from the American Library Association. Woohoo! That's kind of that's kind of all the awards. We are going to spoil it. That was my spoiler warning. We're, we're going to spoil everything about this book. Uh, it is really short. Uh, I recommend you go read it before listening to this podcast if you have not already. Do you want to give a pitch for the book? Maybe maybe you should do the pitch. I don't know. Well, okay. So, so uh, the book takes place at Eleanor West's Home for Wayward Children. Let's see. It, the, the central character is Nancy, who is just arriving there. And it is it is a place that you send your kid if they say they've gone to another world through like a closet or a doorway they found somewhere else, like uh, in a tree or uh, in a trunk in your basement. And, and your kids are having a hard time readjusting to the world. Um, it is specifically a place... You send your kid if your kid seems to want to go back to that place. Uh, the woman who's there, Eleanor West, um, talks to the parents and kind of reassures them we're gonna we're gonna help get these kids like kind of back to our world. Everything's gonna be fine. Like this didn't happen. Like they just need somewhere that understands them. But really, Eleanor also went through a doorway when she was a kid, and everybody else went through a doorway there. And this is a this is kind of a it's a refuge for these these kids who want to go back to where they feel like they belonged. Um, when these doors open, it's essentially it's essentially because the kids really seem to fit in the world they're pulled into, whether it's a nonsense world or a logical world or a wicked world, or there's all these different kind of definitions of the world. And and <clears throat> the brilliance of this book is that the definitions are all a bit confusing to Nancy. As people talk about the worlds they were taken into and try to define, the th- those are directions, uh, wicked logic, nonsense, what have you. Um, and Nancy's a bit confused by that, and we're a bit confused by it, and it's brilliant because it allows us to kind of try to make sense of the whole thing by ourselves. Uh, Nancy makes a few friends, among them her um, roommate. So Nancy went to the Halls of the Dead, uh, where she served what was the guy's name? I can't remember. The, like the, the Lord of the Lord of the Underworld there. And Nancy is very very still. Uh, Nancy had to be still to avoid being uh, eaten by ghosts or some such. Um, and her roommate Sumi. Uh, went to a nonsense world. And it sounds a lot like uh, Candyland or uh, the Candy Kingdom in Adventure Adventure Time to me, um, mm-hmm. but like much more nonsensical. Um, but all these all these kids, they've either been sent home for breaking the rules or are sent to our, back to our world for breaking the rules or they've been sent back because they have to be sure before they commit themselves to being in these worlds for the rest of their lives. And they, they're, they're all at – everybody at the school is desperate to get back to where they, they belong – to their homes, which is these other worlds. And and they're all quite a bit different. Um, <clears throat> and there are kind of cliques at the school. And we can talk about the other characters. But um, 
I think about a third of the way into the book, uh, one of the characters is murdered. And it becomes kind of a murder mystery, kind of a try to survive this. Like somebody is killing the students and harvesting uh, one part from each of them. And we're not sure why. Um, and we're not sure who's doing it. And we're not sure how to stay safe. And it kind of goes from there. Like Nancy's a suspect. Other other kids that we kind of grow close to in the narration are suspects. But they all band together to try to solve, to solve the mystery. And they do. So th- that's my pitch. How's that? Yeah, I'd say that is a... An accurate Probably assessment of events. Uh, no, I think, I mean, it's a novella. If, you know, it, we haven't spoiled anything yet. If you think that a murder mystery in a sort of a Tim Burton setting full of a bunch of kids who, you know, have weird magical backstories sounds fun, stop listening to this podcast. Go read the book. Come back if you care or don't. It's fine. We get it. I, I, I have to say it's really it's really hard to talk about this book because the way the information is rolled out in it is so brilliant. Mm-hmm. That I had to keep kind of going back, and as I made notes about about the characters and about kind of things, I had to I had to kind of organize them in a way that was different from the way everything unfolds in the book. Uh, I really, really like th- this book has a perfect level of confusion for me about huh. about the doorways and about everything else. It, it's explained, but it's not incredibly overexplained. Was it too much for you? No, I I mean I think we're going to have very different reactions because um, I mean I think I didn't think the exposition was bad but i i certainly have no idea what what you mean when you say that it's you know rolled out geniusly i i just mean that it was it was rolled out in a way like like nancy's kind of groping for an understanding of what happened to her like why she's back how she can get back to where she belongs um at the same time everybody else is and they're all kind of sharing these bits of of information about what happened to them but they kind of they're kind of struggling to find a common language to define where they went. They don't really tell the details until later in the story. At least a few of them do. Not quite everybody. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it really worked for me because it's it, it's all it's all kind of natural and it all it all felt like an unfolding of the way you tell your stories to to friends and people you're around, and and a little bit of the way you tell your story when you're forced to by adults who are around you who are trying to get you to share it for your own good, and, and adults and like there's the orientation to school where, um, Lundy the like older woman who looks like a little kid uh, for various reasons uh, kind of gives her an orientation that doesn't really explain much more, but gives her a chance to ask a few questions that we're wondering about as well. Like why are there, why are there so many, why, why are there so many more girls than boys at this school? Uh, why aren't boys taken in? It was cool. I mean, like, like, like who goes back? How many people go back? What was your, what was your reaction to this book? I started reading it and I, w- I was into it. I, I like the premise a lot. I think this is a great premise. I think it's very fun. I think the book started falling apart for me when when it's when we discover that it's a uh, murder mystery, which I think um, I think if I had known that going in, I might have I might have liked it. Well, I don't know how I feel about the bait and switch really, because maybe maybe the fact that it's a bait and switch is fine, but I don't think the material of the murder mystery is actually very good. Like, you know, you try to you try to play along, you try to be like, okay, who's the murderer? Here are the suspects, right? And uh, so I think that when we find out who the murderer is, you're like, oh, well, yeah, okay, I guess it I guess it was that person. Cool. Like there was so I had so little ability to react to it because that was a character that wasn't really developed or interesting. The thing to yep. me, so like this is a very short book and I I can appreciate that. And so I think some of the problems with it are sort of I I think it's interesting that um 
even though it's a really short book, I feel like the characters, we get introduced to these characters, and I, I like the characters for the most part, um, although I don't, I, I do think it's kind of funny that I, Nancy, I kind of just consider to be a nothing character. Like, she doesn't really contribute to anything in this book, except she just is a POV character, right? We just... well, well, but, but, but I, think, I think she's great because she's trying to figure out, like, what everybody's talking about. She's trying to understand her own experience, and she's and she's trying to to go back to um, the yeah. halls of the dead, right? I mean, I mean, like like so she has that sense of longing for a place where she belongs, and and, and it, there, there's also almost all characters except for one in this book have that same longing, right? That's not unique to Nancy. It, it, it's it's not, but it's a chance for us to see it from the inside, and 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 I mean, it's that classic thing. It's it's training day, right? It's it's the it's the rookie comes in and has to try to understand like like what's going on, and then there's yeah. there's a plot, right? I mean, it, it's yeah, it's it's, it's 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 very well done, though. I would say she's not the most compelling character to me, but but through yeah. her, we get to see the people who are actually compelling, which I enjoy. Yeah, I uh, and and I mean, I guess I can understand why. Like she's, I think she's probably boring on purpose because we we need a straight man to you know go against the funny man, which is mainly Sumi in this book, but also Jack. Like we need to, we need to have a little vanilla so that the the chocolate pops out, right? Right, right. I mean, I mean, I mean, Sumi is Sumi went to a nonsense world, and Sumi is is Nancy's roommate, and they're kind of put together because they're so different by Eleanor. What what would you say? Like, if, if you put two nonsense people together, like they're going to kill each other or something, or two logic people together, so maybe you guys have something the other one lacks. And I think that's kind of true. I think the way we meet Cade, uh, who's the third character we meet uh, after, well, I guess the fourth, because we meet Eleanor, Nancy, Sumi, who's Nancy's roommate, and then when Nancy opens her her suitcase, Nancy's like gone full goth. Uh, the coolest thing about Nancy is her hair, which uh, the what the Lord of the Dead uh, touched her hair. And it's black where his fingers touched, but white mm-hmm. everywhere else out of jealousy. I mean, I love that. That was great. Sure, that's a fun detail. But 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 she opens up this this very flowery suitcase that her parents have made her take because her parents want her to be who she was before she went through the door. Mm-hmm. And she opens it up, and instead of all the black clothes that she packed, there's all these colorful things that her parents want her to wear with a note from her parents. And and she's just like, oh, oh no. And Sumi takes her to see Cade, who has this kind of archive of clothes and stuff and books in his um, in his room. And and Cade basically finds Nancy what what she needs, like the clothes she needs to be herself, at least in this place or to come close to it. Like, I love that. That was that was great. That was a very nice, very well thought out detail of the way things work in this place where people are always coming and going and where their parents want them to be something they're not. Right. It's a brilliant YA book in a lot of ways, but it's, um, I think it was published as adult, but I, I totally, I, w- I would give this to teenagers. It's, it's, it's such a, it's such a teenager friendly book, which is why it won an Alex award. So Alex awards, the American library association gives them to books published for adults that, uh, have high crossover, uh, value for teens, like kind of adult books that teens mm-hmm. would love to read. I totally get why this, this one won. Um, I love, remember what Sumi calls the clothes that, that are there that her parents wanted to wear? No, I don't. Sumi says they are uh, somebody else's rainbow, which I love. That's great. Yeah. For me, obviously, everyone else in the world loves this book. I'm, I don't know. I feel like I'm always wrong on this podcast, but um, 
I think I would have preferred this if this had just been a short story instead of a novella. Like, I think I think I could have been introduced to this setting and then not overstayed my welcome because I just feel like, I don't know, we just get into these little sections of the book where it's not that I, I, I don't feel like it's over explaining or anything, but I do feel like the premise sort of, you, you see the rough patches in it the longer you stay there. Hmm. I, I didn't have that sense at all. I, I, I absolutely love this book. This, this is, I have to say, one of my favorite novellas that I've ever read. Um, well, I kind of I kind of feel like the longer you spend with a character like Sumi or a character like Nancy, the more the more hard it is to sort of agree with them or get in their head that like it like, all right, you, you went to Candyland and, and it was, you know, this crazy experience where everything was soda rivers and this and that and and you've been here for some time and but like the longer that you spend time talking to this character and the more sort of you know she's very provoking in the things that she says and she's like she she's meant to be you know a type of character she's meant to make you react like wow she has no filter and uh she she talks in this really weird way but like the more you do that the more you'll be like come on man like get, get what are you doing well, Sumi, Sumi is a little exhausting, but she's a little exhausting in, in life, right? And so I think that... I, I feel similarly about basically every character in this book where, like, like the fifth time that Nancy says, like, I don't understand what any of the words you're using here. I'm like, I understood them by the second time, Nancy. Like, get with the program. Like, you, Well, but she, of all people, should get with the program because she has been to another world. Like, she denies having been to another world for so long in this book. Come on. No, it's, it's very brief. It, it's very brief. She just won't tell Eleanor at the beginning when she's welcome to the school because she doesn't kind of know that Eleanor's there no, to support she her. No, de- right? she denies it to Sumi and she denies it to Kate. And, and she, she denies it for some time. Oh, like, okay. And, and the, yeah, she, um, I don't know. It, it gets to the point where you're just like, we get it. We, like, we understand the premise. I almost feel like we didn't need a POV character because the person who is reading this book, unless you are a very young child, like... You know what Alice in Wonderland is. You know Chronicles of Narnia. You know Harry Potter. You you know the premise that kids go to another magical world and have magical adventures and and what that is like. And and I'm not even saying I think it is a fun premise. I think it's a fun premise. The idea that they are like these kids are discarded now and they have to go back to the real world and live their lives and how traumatic <clears throat> that is. We were just talking about this in the Prince Caspian episode that like. That is a great idea, and I like that this is a book that is about that. I just also feel a little frustrated that... I guess what I was expecting when I picked up this book is like, okay, so we have these kids, and they're dealing with the fact that they went to these other worlds, and I was kind of hoping that at some point we would go to one of those other worlds, or go to like three of them, because we did have to accomplish something. And um, not only is the book not that, it's... Like, the fact that it is a murder mystery basically doesn't... It, I would argue that it has very little to do with the fact that these kids have gone to another world. Like, sure, the murderer would say that it was, but um, I don't know. I If I wanted a murder mystery, I would have picked up a different book, I feel like. I mean, I mean, I, I like the murder mystery aspect of it. I, I think there, I think the the one weakness of the murder mystery aspect of it is that, from our point of view, there's basically only... Th- like two people it can be right for it to make any logical sense yeah and um so it's it's clearly the other one right well let's uh let's get into spoiler territory who did you, who who do you think those two characters are oh i think it's it's uh, jack and jill because people suspect nancy because she's the new kid and she's yeah associated with the uh, the lord of death or the halls of the dead but um 
it's clearly not Nancy unless, I mean, like if it turned out to be Nancy, this would be a terrible book, right? Because the point of view character is lying, lying to you the whole time. So it's either Jack or Jill. They're twins, Mm -hmm. Jacqueline and Jillian. And they went to kind of a high logic, high wicked world that's ruled by a vampire. And um, Jill, Jillian is like the pink dresses, like loose curls, lacy, lacy dresses kind of, kind of person. And uh, Jack Kind of looks like a steampunk scientist and jack um yeah one is one is supposed to be in love with a vampire the other is super into frankenstein it's <laughs> right well and yeah jack jack uh what was an apprentice to dr bleak which is a great name yeah um who who harvested uh people's like dead people's parts to help the living so he's kind of like a, right. a nice kind dr frankenstein and uh well that was the thing that that was another thing that bothered me and this is obviously spoiler stuff but like there's some unreliable narrator stuff about that is that we keep building up how sick and twisted jack and dr bleak were and doing all and you know cutting open guinea pigs or whatever and and then at the end of the book it's revealed like actually dr bleak was the nicest guy ever who never meant to harm anyone and and everything that i've told you that led you to believe that was was basically erroneous that he's a medical doctor who's only ever trying to help people and all of the villagers in that world knew that and really appreciated him and i'm just like whatever why did no 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 i think that's a misreading i think i think dr bleak is pretty pretty messed up i think jack is pretty messed up too like i think it's pretty clear jack is very messed up especially when they're drinking the hot chocolate together but there Jack, is that. But there is a speech at the end where Jack goes that like all of the townspeople knew and liked Doctor Bleak, and and they never used body parts for anything other than helping people, and like and that all of the townspeople were in on that apparently. Well, I mean, it sounds it sounds like a terrible place that the vampire lord is harvesting the kids and yeah. you know eating people, but 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 not going about it like too crazily, right? And and I mean, this is the major spoiler. Like what we find out later is that uh, Jillian Jill wanted to be just like the vampire lord, and uh, it's kind of referenced a few times. But but uh, Jill kind of went crazy and uh, was feeding a bit too much, and the townspeople came for Jill with torches in in a classic monster movie fashion. And uh, Doctor Bleak had to send them back to our world <clears throat> because they would have been killed otherwise. Um, now that's 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 kind of a it's a, it's a weird narrative point. Um, it's never quite driven home how evil Jill was until the end when it turns out Jill is in fact the murderer who is who is taking uh, a piece from different girls and trying to build a perfect a perfect girl because the uh, the doorways open for these these people for specific reasons about who they are and what they are and uh, Jill's trying to build a skeleton key, a perfect girl, uh, so that she can go back home. And um, <clears throat> I mean, we can talk about the very end in a bit. But I thought I thought that was I thought Jill being the murderer was it was a little left field for me. Like it's not it's not that uh, it's not that it's so implausible that Jill is the murderer. It's that narratively it wasn't very interesting or satisfactory for me because at that point, so we we knew a lot about Jack and we only knew so much about Jill and. I guess knowing that it was Jill, like, I just kind of shrugged at that. Um, Yeah, yeah, I I agree. The people that I was betting on, so I was thinking it was my most likely candidate until she gets murdered was Lundy. um, Because I thought, like, okay, she's older than everyone. She's got this interesting backstory where uh, she's made all these trades at the goblin markets. And I thought, like, okay, so if you're cutting off this, this girl's hands and you're taking out this girl's eyes... Uh, these feel like things that like evil fey goblins would trade for and that she, because right. you know, either she's trying to get back to that world or she's trying to, 
she's trying to get some other boon and i and so in my head i was like yeah that'd be a good thing and she's in a position of power over these girls so it's sort of i feel like it makes a certain narrative sense um and then the other person i thought was maybe uh eleanor west the you know the headmaster here at the school that um basically for the same reasons but it i i never thought it was her for that long unless we were given some reason that was going to make sense later which you know anyway it wasn't her and it wasn't lundy and so well, well there was never there was never a strong indication it was lundy except for except for like what you're saying like there was like uh something about her loving stories and lundy is aging backwards slowly uh from the time she turned 18 uh so she's like this this like looks like an eight-year-old girl right but is like uh, yeah, yeah. The counselor at the school. So it's very, mm-hmm. it's very strange. Um, looks like, looks like, I believe she's described as a middle-aged librarian, which, you know. That's correct. Great. Yes. She looks just like me. Okay, perfect. Um, <laughs> no, but she, uh, she dresses far more professionally than you do, Jean. Oh, that's true. Yeah. She probably wears pants. <laughs> uh, like, like, <laughs> I, I mean, we, we, we can beat this mystery to death, but like, th- th- so the first character who's killed is Sumi. Who's I think like annoying to the extent you're talking about like like is just just says anything whatever it, it's it's probably pretty easy to kill Sumi first because you know it, it's it's difficult to have Sumi around like she just throws all the conversations sure. off a little bit and then the second person to be killed is who um, it's some girl who went to a world of like spiders and tiny things and I forget her name it's L- L'Oreal right oh, yeah she went to, she went to Web World that's right yeah <laughs> the tiny spider Web World yeah. And her, so, so Sumi's hands are taken, L'Oreal's eyes are taken, and then I think it's, and then I think it's Lundy, right? Yeah, Lundy is the third and, and the last one to get murdered, and they solve the murder basically immediately after they find Lundy's body. Right. Well, it, it's, it's very quick. I mean, like, the mystery elements of this are not huge, but they get people to run around and kind of tell their stories a bit, which I, I liked. What's weird to me is, like, the way uh, the character Christopher comes along with, with our troop of people uh, after Sumi dies, and Christopher's the one who went to some world of skeletons where skeletons are animated and kind of alive. And he's in yeah. love with a skeleton girl, and he has this bone flute, kind of music making thing, and um, and that can call the skeletons back to life. Uh, mm-hmm. And 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 uh, <laughs> he's it, it, it's so weird. I can't remember what he says. He says something about um, what do you say about 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 how um, just regular skeletons like can't give consent, or the dead can't give consent, or something like that. But like animated skeletons I don't can. It was very, it was very, it was yeah. a very odd moment. Um, but 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 yeah. he comes along, and I was like, well, if, if it turns out to be him, I'm going to be disappointed because then he was just brought along to kind of kind of be the murderer, right? Like, um, it it didn't seem it didn't seem likely. Mm-hmm. And then it's and then it's revealed to be Jill in kind of a like she loses control moment, which I which I liked. And then you know Jack kind of says, well, yeah, she's like way worse than I thought, and I should have seen this. I'm so sorry. And then I mean, essentially, we find out like the truth about Jack and Jill's situation, right? Uh, which yeah. is a little worse than 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 Jack has been admitting, um, and uh, I, I like I like that ending a lot actually. That really worked for me somehow. Jill's the murderer, which I I, I don't find it interesting, and I don't think I can be convinced that it's true. But we're gonna put that aside. That, like so, that's I, I, I didn't I, I didn't care, but as a way to explore this place, as a way to like heighten the clickishness, as a way to see who likes who, it worked. I think if I were writing this book just as a thought experiment, right? I guess I would have written a book in which, like, Nancy shows up here, and I think that she would, like, because we know from the beginning and and to the end that she really wants to go back to the Halls of the Dead, 
and that all of these kids are, you know, going about, uh, they, they, everyone here wants to go back to their home place except for Cade, um, and some of them even know where their portal is and whatnot. I felt like she would have been a little, like, if I were writing it, she would have been a little more react, proactive in doing something about getting back to her home or getting back to the halls of the dead and like researching the portals in the, in the school library or, you know, interviewing the kids and playing sort of detective about that. And I think you could have, and like, maybe she goes through the wrong portal ends up a different world. And then that's sort of the, the drama of it. Right. She's, she's only been back like seven weeks though. She's only been back seven weeks and she's like, she's, she's distraught. She's destroyed. She found the place she belonged. Right. And as a teenager, isn't that what everybody's looking for? Like, she found the place she belonged and was sent away. I guess that's one of the things that bothers me about this book, is all of these children have had a literal magical supernatural experience and and only some of them really act like it uh like i i almost feel like nancy is a little too normal for someone who has spent you know some amount of her life living amongst ghosts and that that she should like she she's not very hip to the fact that goblins and you know uh fairies exist or that people are made of that can be made of candy like this all seems so strange to her but it's like whatever you just came from I, ghost I, world I, I don't think it seems strange to her i think she's confused about the directions and stuff like the way everybody describes their worlds i don't she doesn't she doesn't evidence a bunch of confusion about what people are talking about but the thing about nancy that i think um makes her a good protagonist for this is like the reason she seems to have been called to the Hall of the Dead is Nancy just wants to be still, right? She just wants to be very, very still. That's the thing she's good at. So still that you don't even notice her, right? That 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 you just walk right past her, which uh, Jill does at one point when she's in a murderous moment. Um, mm-hmm. Like Nancy appears to be statuesque. That is Nancy. Nancy is not Nancy is not researching. That's Cade. Cade is Cade has a study full of books. Uh, his own library upstairs, you know, Kate is never going back to the world that he was pulled from. But Kate is all about research and Kate is there to answer questions and to help people do their research in exchange for information or money. Um, so we have that character, but but it's not, well, I can see why Nancy didn't go take advantage of the research library. You know, I mean, it's disappointing for me as a librarian. I, I want to see the research library a bit more, <laughs> maybe in one of the later books. Um, I, like, I like the fact that we find out uh, Kate is Eleanor's uh, great 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 grandson and will take over the the family business of the house uh, uh, he, well he's Eleanor a dies. grand grand nephew i believe is grand nephew sorry grand nephew yeah yeah that's a fun detail i guess um i mean it comes well, out in the I, course of this but not it's not it's not a huge reveal or anything um one of the so one of the details i would like to talk about with regards to our protagonist nancy is that she's been sent back to the mundane world by the lord of the dead who says that she has to be sure that she wants to stay and so like has to be given this choice and at the beginning of the book and throughout most of it she feels like no i'm really sure i want to be in the halls of the dead i don't want to be Mm -hmm. in the mundane world but like clearly she has to learn something she has to she has to have some kind of overcoming or make some kind of realization which you know makes perfect narrative sense i get it it does feel over the course of the book that she is sort of tempted like she seems really interested in kate as a possible romantic partner 
Uh, and Cade seems to reciprocate that. And so you're like, okay, maybe she is interested in staying in the Monday world. Maybe she's understanding that there are things here that are good too. And then, so the way the book ends is she opens up her suitcase from the beginning of the book. I, this book takes place over, what, like five days or something? Like, I'm not gonna, I'm not knocking it for that. That's fine. I just want to remember this. It is not a long time, yeah. It's not a long time. So she opens up this suitcase, and I'm a little surprised that she didn't open it up sooner, but... She finds a note that Sumi put in there on day one that says, you know, something to the effect of like, you know, keep your chin up. Uh, you're stronger than this. No one's going to put you down. But the the thing that she says, the the that is the big sort of cathartic line is um, no one gets to tell you how your story ends. Nobody gets to decide that for you. And, except you. you know, right. Except for you, which that's a great that's a great platitude i'm not saying it's a bad platitude but the character who wrote this platitude did get murdered and did did, she very much did not get to decide our story well sumi sumi also sumi also gets to restate uh sumi's greatest line and says in that note you're nobody's rainbow which i liked sure i that's a good line i like that but so so she reads sumi's note and and she she hears this she goes yeah nobody gets to decide how my story ends and this makes her feel real cool and empowered which i get it it would and then the door opens up the portal to go back to the halls of the dead but that confuses the hell out of me that i did feel like those things are largely unrelated that like the problem was that she didn't know that she had agency in her life well maybe she was certain maybe she was certain enough to be to be able to open the door again at that moment, I, I don't know. I mean, it's 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 a little ambiguous, and I don't think she quite knows why it happens at that moment either, which is why it works. I think if she if she if she knew if she knew that she had to think something or say something, and then suddenly the door opened, you'd be like, eh. but for me, because she doesn't know exactly what that moment creates for her, and I think for me, it's it also comes like the end of the book. Jack takes, uh, I mean, Jack kills Jill right to keep Jill mm-hmm. from killing everybody else. And uh, which, which takes... is which is sort of trivial to her that um, because she knows that she can reanimate Jill as uh, either some kind of Frankenstein or sorry Frankenstein's monster she can reanimate her somehow using the the science magic of of you know the Moors as they call it and sure, immediately but, 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 just opens up a portal and just walks through and but Jill can <laughs> Jill can never be a vampire lord at that point Jill can't be a vampire because right. a resurrected person can't be a vampire so mm-hmm. it's kind of like it's kind of like Jack has taken everything from Jill that Jill wanted I think there's a lot of a lot of story there to still mine and I hope I hope that comes up in a later book um, I do know the second book is uh, Jack and Jill and what happened to them in the Moors which is the name of their world so yeah. it, it, it goes back in time. So I'm, I'm going to read that right away. I'm, I'm very excited. Oh, I want, yeah, I want to talk about that because I almost feel, I, I feel like I, I did some research as to the sequels. And so they, at the time that we're recording this, there's somewhere between seven and nine of these books. Um, well, I will say that the, the, the ninth book comes out uh, in January 2024, which will be when this podcast is published. And the ninth book is called Mislaid in Parts Half Known. Um, so I find it so interesting. I was looking up the description of these books because I felt like, I felt like I didn't quite get enough from this book just in general, but like, I, like I'll, I'll, what I got was a premise and I, and even though I liked the premise, I felt sort of unfulfilled by the rest of it. And so I'm, I'm looking at these, uh, descriptions of the sequels and slash prequels. So most of them are prequels from what I can see. And I find it really interesting, this decision of like, okay, so now we get to go, we do back to the Jack and Jill prequel 
where we just follow them in the moors and it's like that like because you could just read that first you could just give that to you know a 12 year old and it's it just is sort of a normal adventure right one would assume it, it, it's possible that there's some twists and turns that we don't know about. One of them actually sounds really fascinating to me where Sumi's daughter from the candy world comes to the school and has to like keep her mother from dying in the past. And, and like that actually sounds fun as hell to me because I like that that is, that's actually using sort of twisted dream logic that w- is impossible in our world, but makes sense back in the crazy loony candy land, right? Like that's fun. And that's, I guess when I read these descriptions, I I feel like it's all of the, at least from the descriptions, which is maybe not super accurate, but it feels like all the things that I were hoping you would get at least some of in this book that I feel like we don't. And so part of me is just like, I guess I just had, I wish I had read those instead. Maybe you're right. We should always read the second out of the trilogy. I, I disagree here. I think, I think that McGuire is exploring the world in the way that you know, I mean, the author the author is is taking us on a tour and a journey, and I think all these things will hang together. And maybe there will be a different preferred reading order. I don't know. At the end of the day, sometimes authors end up with that. But I, I'm very satisfied with reading this first. It, it I find it very compelling. I think the books will kind of build on each other and inform each other in a way that's fun. At least that's what I'm hoping, and that's why I'll keep reading them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I don't think this answers every question I have. Um, it's not the it's not the end of the story either though which is which is nice and they all seem to be very short which is great for me <laughs> that's what i'm looking for is another yeah. series of short books that that hang together to to make something you know greater than each of them and so i'm excited i'm excited about uh finding this series uh and finally finally reading one of them and and finding yeah. it this compelling um i so i think that the great thing about the novella form and the way mcguire uses it is there's enough room to explore the setting to make it compelling to me there's enough room to have a few characters and then you have a little bit of plot and and that's that's what i want from a book i mean you can have a lot more plot than this in a book but you you do that at the cost of i think the setting and the characters i i think i think this is a great balance for a fantasy this isn't this isn't an urban fantasy but it's a contemporary fantasy right and it, it yeah. pulls on a lot it pulls on narnia and oz and a bunch of other mm-hmm kind of stories right. that we have and and it, i think it does it very brilliantly um i i don't know if i'd like this book as much if we hadn't read the magicians and the narnia book prince caspian yeah mm-hmm. uh recently um but but i think i think the way it uses those ideas made me love it so much so i i'm, I'm a little i'm a little confused by your feelings about it but i don't think you like novellas as much as i do and and I well, think this this just uses novellas like much more like the short stories to me, especially in the science fiction space are often they're often unsatisfying because they don't have enough plot for me. And this had just enough. I like novellas. OK, but it, part of what I don't like about this. So you like character study more than I do. And this book is more a little more character study than I was looking for. Hmm. Um, I, so part of the thing that frustrates me is that we're introduced to all these characters and I actually, I like most of the characters. Like I, I like Jack and Jill fine. I like Cade. Uh, even it, at first glance, I thought, uh, Nancy was interesting. The problem that I faced was that for a novella, I was hoping that we would spend a little less time with these characters, just talking to each other about their backstories. Like, I would say that most of the book is just them repeating things about themselves in a way that I found to get really tiring fast. Mm. 
I kind of feel like that's my number one complaint with this book. Maybe I, maybe I do like character more than I, I feel like I do, but I feel like mm-hmm. what I really like in, in books like this is the setting. I feel like this book pulls it off because the characters essentially are a way to explore the setting because the characters are pulled through the doors for a different reason. And so as they tell more and more about themselves, like in what felt like a very natural way to me, like like they keep retelling their stories, but they tell them with more details to each other in a way that I didn't, in a, way, a, way, a way that I found quite frankly masterful. I, I thought it was amazingly well done because it, it, didn't, it didn't bother me in the way that giant chunks of exposition bother me in different fantasy novels. Are, uh, you, uh, are you familiar with the term uh, flanderization? No. What's that? So this is a, a term that I was thinking of while reading this book. If you're familiar with the famous hit television show, The Simpsons, uh, The Simpsons have a next door neighbor whose name is Ned Flanders. Mm-hmm. And in for like the first like eight seasons of the show or however long, you know, Ned, we're, Ned is this interesting character. He's sort of a foil to Homer. He's a he's a better husband and father. And uh, he's very devout Christian. And we learn all this stuff about Ned. And then, you know, as the show kept going for another 20 seasons, uh, different writers, you know, left the show and then new writers got hired. Uh, there's this thing that happened where Ned Flanders became less of a robust character and he just sort of got de- reduced to saying a couple catchphrases and basically being a very one note character who's only used for certain gags. And like, it's not that he doesn't show up in episodes. It's just that he isn't a well-rounded person as he was in the early season. At least this is the theory of Flanderization. And I feel like now, so I guess that term usually describes, I'm not being 100% accurate here. That term usually describes when you have an established character who is reduced to being sort of a caricature of of who they were before. This is the first time we've met these characters. However, I feel like over the course of the book, you expect them to have these interesting things going on and they're all kind of reduced to like Jack as a character is just like, boy, I sure like werewolves. Like I, I, I sure like doing the surgeries. I found that to be pretty uninteresting after the third time she says that. And, you know, Eleanor's same thing, or uh, not Eleanor, Nancy. I, Nancy's the same thing of like, I sure wish I didn't have to do anything and I could just sit still forever. None of these characters were anything, like I was I was hoping that it would be like, yeah, I may have gone to Werewolf World and fought all the werewolves, but also I really like macrame. I really want to grow up to be a great <laughs> chef or something. Like I was just hoping that they would just give them a little something that would sort of make them more than just this, you know, cardboard cutout kind of character. And I didn't get that. I think Jack's more complicated than you're, you're giving her credit for. Um, like, like I like the moment where we find out that in their house with the overbearing parents, Jack was the pretty one and Jill was the brainy one. And her, their parents basically didn't pay any attention to them. Right. They just decided this and forced these roles on them. And then every time right, they gave but... them gifts or praise or whatever, that was what, that was what they did. Um, and so these, yeah. this world was a chance for them to be themselves. I mean, that, but, but this takes place over like two or three days and it's young people mm-hmm. who barely know each other. And so I, I think they are kind of like the same people over and over again. But there are hints. There are little looks inside like like uh, Cade. Uh, Cade probably gets the most exploration, right, of any mm-hmm. character. Cade and Nancy and uh, Christopher later, Christopher and Nancy, they're all kind of like Nancy's more attracted to Cade. Cade's attracted to Nancy. Christopher's also attracted to Nancy. And Nancy's terrified of uh, explaining that uh, she's asexual, right? Mm-hmm. to people 
um, and has a hard time explaining how that's different from being a romantic, which, okay. And, well, and, I and find ca- it funny that, like, it, granted, I understand that in the real world that that is, a, that is maybe not the most pleasant uh, way to come out. And and when there when there's a boy that you maybe like and you're afraid of you know disappointing him or not being what he expects you to be, but I do right. find it funny that she comes out to Sumi basically immediately and Sumi's just like right, okay right, anyway right, right, right. and and like if there was ever like there let's look at let's look at the facts if ever there was a group of people that you could come out to as asexual I think the school of people who've been to fucking Goblin Land and Fairy Town and Candy Land. I think that world, would be yeah. that would be a place where everyone would just kind of shrug and go, yeah, sure, anyway. But also, right. the the person that she's interested in, who she feels like she would, she's afraid of telling that she's asexual, is a trans man. His is transgender. You're, I maybe she's never met a trans person before. That's entirely likely. Um, but the it certainly, that, it certainly felt like, like it. But but that's the most accepting person you're probably going to find of that that is probably no literally though that is probably the person that you're going to face you're who's going to be like yeah okay cool We're all, yeah well, i'm I, queer too let's be queer i will say it's a it's a very it, it felt like a very teenage hesitation mm-hmm. and it didn't last very long right i mean like yeah. in real time this lasted almost not at all right like, like it's probably yeah. the same day i also well i also found it like shauna mcguire is is queer and i i'm not trying to um I'm not kind of trying to like check her credentials or anything, but I found it really confusing just the the wording of the scene where because Nancy Nancy does say to Sumi straight up, "I am asexual," and, and then explains what that means. But with um, Cade in the scene where she's she doesn't exactly say it; she says it in a mm-hmm. really roundabout way, mm-hmm. and I can't even remember the wording, but. She said it in such a way that I remember reading it and thinking, like, that doesn't tell me you're asexual. That tells me that you like the uh, you like people aesthetically. Like that doesn't that's not helpful to me. <laughs> right. If I right, were right, Kate right. in this situation, this wouldn't be helpful to me at all. But I like that. That's a good. That's a good bit of writing. It's it's a little bit of a flub. It's it's a very big moment for her, and mm-hmm. and it's it it, it, it it's a it, it's not exactly clear. Um, what did you think about Cade's story about about Cade being thrown out of what a fairyland? Is that right? Yeah, maybe maybe because transness is part of the story, I found it probably to be the most interesting story. Like if we lined up all of the characters, like Sumi isn't a very Sumi's story isn't very interesting because she went to she went to Candyland and she just really liked being in Candyland, and now it has made her sort of a hyperactive person who does it like nothing about her is in opposition to the thing that she had kate is kate's story is sort of interesting because there was some conflict there that Mm -hmm. he goes he goes to goblin town to fairyland or whatever they call it the fairies there expect expect him to be a girl and and they like they they specifically wanted to kidnap a girl but he doesn't identify as a girl he's having adventures and he's fighting the goblin king and the goblin king realizes that he's a boy and and then as soon as the fairies realize this they kick him out and so like this is one of the only stories that i felt like actually had some meat on its bones it probably didn't have any more meat than what i just said but that was enough that was more than we got for uh nancy that was more than we got for sumi i think jack and jill their story has a comparable level of meat on the bone 
Um, yeah. But I don't. But I don't like. I. But I. But I find Jack and Jill maybe to be the most flanderized characters in this whole thing. That just like. <laughs> well, the, like the fact that they're twins. I. I don't know. I think. I. I do like the trope of like weird twins in fiction. Um, I, well, I like it in like comedy stuff. I don't know if I really like it in. Whatever. I don't know what you would even call this as a as a story like it there are jokes in it but it's not really haha funny um, well I, I don't i i think i think uh the second book will either change your mind about the flanderization of those two or not i mean i i think yeah. they're going to be much more fully realized in a book of their own uh, i'm looking forward to reading it um i i, I think I, I think kate kate is the most compelling person because nancy yeah. finds him the most compelling right so kate is written as the most compelling because nancy can't stop looking at him just thinks he's totally beautiful you know, mm-hmm. and wants to wants to sit there and hold his hand and talk to him for hours on end, and you know, but not any further than that, uh, as Nancy keeps thinking, um, and and that's that's fine. She, um, she, yeah, her internal monologue is uh, really worried about having sex. Um, well, or, or 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 like at one point she's worried that he'll want to kiss her, another point she's worried that he won't want to kiss her. Right? It, mm-hmm. it's, it's very it's very cute. It's it's very teenagery to me. Um, you know, it's, it, it doesn't at all reach the level of uh, annoyance that I had with what was the fourth wing um, yeah. with the internal monologue in fourth wing. God. I mean, th- th- oh. this just seems this just seems to be like a very teenagery, like, you know, quite frankly, very innocent um, internal monologue around the stuff, which which would be resolved by just having a conversation. But nobody wants to have right. the conversation, you know, and, and, and it, 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 it's OK, but it makes it it makes it a very YA book to me. Because well, that, there's not really uh, adult concerns, so I actually I actually think that's really funny that both Cade and Chris, the other sort of the the two boys at this school that we meet, they're both so much more forward than any teenage boy I've ever known. In and that they both basically are like, yes, we both like you, Nancy, and we would like to date you. That I think is a very funny. It's not that it couldn't happen, but if if we're if we're going to talk about how realistic Nancy's internal monologue is, can we talk about how unrealistic it is that these two teenage boys like just outright say the damn thing? Oh, uh, I didn't think that was unrealistic at all because I think they were in that moment they were recognizing the competition of each other, and they had to like that they both were interested in mm-hmm. Nancy and they both had to like kind of get it out there. So it was an, it, that was a nice moment for me. You know, uh, I don't think it would have come out if there'd been just one or the other of them. I think it would have been much, much different. But because they were both kind of yeah. in this situation, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, like, mm-hmm. can we talk about the end for a minute? The the not the end part that you avoided uh, after after Jill is killed. Sure. Like there's there's, if, there's a few things in here that I really like where uh, that it becomes clear that Jack could have gone back any time, but yeah. basically brought brought Jill back to uh, keep her safe. And was staying sticking around to keep her safe. I, I like that. That gives that a little bit more, um, like, like the appearance of more depth. Like I want to know more about them as characters. You know, you know what I find frustrating about that though. This book I think calls into question more than any other. Like, so Jill starts murdering people to harvest their parts to make the perfect girl, which is kind of an insane plot. But you know, I'll I'll let it go because she's from Monster World, and maybe that's what happens there. Well, it seems to be it seems to be not something that she can do, right? Yeah, Just kind of like she, which, she's gone crazy, right? Like as soon as Jack figures out that Jill is the the one who's the murderer, immediately just kills her and is like, "Don't worry, I'll bring her back to life." But also, we're going back to the Moors. I've been able to go back this whole time, and once I use my science magic on her, uh, it'll it won't be a problem because she can't be a vampire. 
And part of my brain is just like, well, why were you ever here then? Because you could have just killed her, reanimated her, made it so that she was never a vampire, and stayed in that place the whole time. Like, there was... None of this ever needed to happen, right? Like, if you always had the solution on hand... Well, that wouldn't have kept the villagers from from burning Jill at the stake or whatever they were going to do, right? Well, if they if 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 uh, Jack had killed her, which she was, she didn't seem to have any real trouble actually, like hitting over the head and killing her. Like, I think that probably would have worked. <laughs> I don't think she hit her over the head. She stabbed her, stabbed her in the back. I don't remember. It was well, it's all the same. One six of one, half dozen of the other. Like it's yeah, the yeah. same effect. I mean, I mean, I, what I what I like about this book is it's it's effectively a high school. There's bullying that goes on among the boys, bullying among the girls. The cliques are kind of a little bit visible, but not terribly visible. I mean, at the end, they save someone from being killed, which is good. Uh, you know, there's there's a sense of danger throughout it's not it's not terrible danger but it's but it's definitely there yeah it's it's kind of it's kind of extreme in its violence but the violence is mostly like off off screen yeah, I, there's just so much i like about this book it was so great it, it reminds me of gaiman's writing quite a bit just really? just in the way that there's other worlds out there and the way it's the way it's handled the the very decent way the storytelling is handled to me mm-hmm. uh yeah i just i really just one of my favorite novellas now it's, this is up there in the top five for sure okay so i'm i'm very excited I, I like, like I'm I'm very worried about having you read my other two favorite novellas, uh, but but maybe we'll do that soon. What, what <laughs> we'll are see. those? Well, I think my favorite novella right now, my favorite fantasy novella ever, is uh, *Spear* by Nicola uh, Griffith, mm-hmm. which is a, a Arthurian retelling. And my okay. favorite science fiction novella is um, hold on one second, I have to grab it. Oh, it, 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 it's uh, it's John Crowley. It's called uh, *The Great Work of Time*, mm-hmm. and it's it's a it's a time travel novella that was published as a standalone book back in the day and i think it's been included in a few other collections that have come out recently i have a copy of the latter of the the sorry the the great work of time here for you to send you the next time i send you books so maybe we'll get to that uh when we do the year of science fiction or when we're just avoiding the year of sword and sorcery this doesn't really fit with sword and sorcery does it i guess it kind of does cade cade was like a goblin prince in waiting killed a goblin king there is some swords in here but it's but this is a stretch it, it is not sort we we have sort of left behind the premise of sword and sorcery a long time ago <laughs> it's the year of fantasy of various types your fantasy your fantasy is probably is probably better yeah okay well, we'll have to we'll have to after we get go offline here we'll have to figure out what the next book is um, we, we also screwed up and put in at least one science fiction book in the year of uh fantasy so no no that, that was that was sword and sorcery i would argue i mean it was, no no yeah. i'm talking about uh, chess with the dragon where it was all aliens oh oh i thought you meant the tchaikovsky book which which i which i still that argue book is, is also if you want to call that book science fantasy that's fine but it is there's spaceships it's it's not pure fantasy so are we reading Dragonflight for next time or are we putting that off what is Dragonflight? The first Anne McCaffrey oh. Dragon Riders of Prune book? I don't know. Um, we'll talk about it in a minute. Uh... <laughs> okay. Okay. To be decided. If, if you know what yeah. we should read next time, though, you can email us at bookstabberpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, yeah. We love your suggestions. And uh, thanks for hanging out. Thanks for listening. All right. Keep stabbing. Keep stabbing.